Good morning, church. You awake? Everybody alive? Hey, Mr. Kim is glad. Everybody, the rest of y'all, I don't know. All right, so we're gonna. I'm so glad to be able to open up God's Word with you this weekend. We are in week three of a series. If it's your first Sunday with us, uh, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the last two week sermons. Uh, they're really setting up what we're talking about today. You can find those on Facebook. You can find those on YouTube, and you can find those also on our rarely talked about podcast. Uh, all of our sermons go to all of our uh, the podcast feeds. So whatever your favorite podcast app is, you can just search for Lindsay Lane East or Lindsay Lane Baptist Church, and you can find our uh, sermons there. Um, guaranteed, listen to my sermons while you work out. Guaranteed to get you in better shape. It's a proven fact. So so make sure that you're doing that. Um, don't listen to music. Listen to Heath preach. All right. Um, so going to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter five. Today we're going to look at a very familiar passage. What I found about Matthew 5 through 7 as we're going through this is that so much of the terminology and the things that we talk about, uh, just without even thinking of where they come from in the Bible, so many of them find their origin in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, If you've read the Bible for a while as a Christian, you're probably familiar with this passage, and it's about salt, and it's about light. All right, so that's where we're going to be, where we're going to talk about, I pray, uh, I want to read the passage, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to come back and talk about it. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 16 uh, together. Let's do this. Uh, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. It gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let me say a word of prayer, and we're going to break this down, all right? Father God, we trust that you are in our midst today. Uh, God, prayers have been lifted over this service today. Um, and God, we, we know that you want to do a work in us and through us. And God, I pray that today you use this message um, to urge each one of us to take next steps in our walk with you and be challenged today, God, as we always pray. Teach us to know you and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So here Jesus uses two analogies that I've already introduced you to, right? He uses the analogy of salt and he uses the analogy of light. So let's take the first one. Let's just begin there. That's where he begins in verse 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth, the salt of of the earth. So for your note taker, there should have been a note sheet in, in the seat uh, when you sat down. So you can start filling those in. I know you type A people will love it. All right. How many of you are salt adders? And what I mean by that is that before you taste anybody's mac and cheese, you're going to shake a little bit of salt because you know, there ain't no way they put enough. Anybody? <laughs> Got a few. All right. How many of y'all watermelon salt people? Uh, there's some more hands. All right, man, when I think about salt, now not this kind of salt, when I think about salt, we don't, we don't keep the kind of salt that my great grandma had. My great grandmother and grandfather, uh, Papa Tom and Mama Ima, um, they had an above ground pool. And so it was a real small little dude, but that was the only pool we knew of. And so my family wore that thing out all summer. When school got out every day, just about we were at the pool, unless we had doctor's appointments or something like that. And we would be in the pool. But my favorite part of swimming was not swimming with all my cousins and my sister. My favorite part of swimming was when we'd be in the pool and you'd hear the legs lock out on that old wooden table. You know, those big, heavy, wooden folding tables. And we would hear the legs locking out on that. And we knew 
get out of the pool. And so we would jump out, grab our towels, and start tiling off. And we would find Papa Tom, my great-granddad, you know, this time probably in his 80s or 70s probably at this point. And he would get a watermelon fresh from the garden and plop it down on that old wooden table. And he'd take a butcher knife that, as a kid, it looked like it was like two feet long. And he would slice up that watermelon. And my great-grandmother would come out of the house with Morton's iodized salt. That's not what this is. But Morton's iodized salt. And she would sit it down on the table. And that's all I needed. It had the big metal pour. You know what I'm talking about? It wasn't a shaker. It was the real deal. It was a pourer. But I can remember that for some reason that has very little to do with the message. But that's when I think about salt. That's what I think about. I think about Papa Tom and Mama Ima. However, Jesus and his disciples are not thinking about Papa Tom and Mama Ima. They're also not thinking of a salt shaker. All right? That is not the image that we should have in our minds here. And this is what I want to teach you, okay? I want to step aside just from the scripture just to show you something. This is one of the dangers in the way that we often read the Bible. When we read an idea or an analogy or a thought like salt, we immediately go, I know what that's talking about. I know what salt is. And then we drag that analogy over 2,000 years. We drag that analogy into present day and we try to make sense of it. And then we derive meaning from that. Church, this is not how we should read the Bible. That's not how God has called us to read. If you're, wanting to, if you're wanting to read the Bible, open it up. God will speak to you. But if you're wanting to study the Bible deeply, we need to be careful when we do this. We can think that we know what salt is. And then we can make application. But sometimes the application can be wrong. Good Bible study leaves the text in its day. The first thing you need to do when you're studying God's Word, if you're wanting to study it deeply, is you need to leave the text where it is. Leave the analogies, the phrases, the people, the parables. Leave it in the Bible times. That may take doing a little research in a study Bible or doing a Google search online to some of the the big commentary websites that can really help you out. But you're going to do that research and thinking, and then you're going to figure out, okay, this is what Jesus meant by salt. And then you're still going to kick it old school by asking, what was the meaning for them? Okay, we're going to figure out what salt is. We're going to ask, what was the meaning for them? Why did Jesus say that to them? Then we take that meaning. And then we span the gap of 2,000 years to today. We take the meaning. We don't take the analogy. And here's why that's so important. And then we can make application. What, uh, how does this change the way I live? We don't bring words and phrases, analogies and parables to our day. We keep them contextually accurate until we get the meaning. Then we can time warp. This is why it's important. How can salt be less salty? It can be less salty if you have the coronavirus. We know that, right? You lose your sense of taste. But other than that, salt is salt, right? Salt cannot lose its taste. That's not a thing. Salt is salt. It can't be less salty. However, that's what the text says, right? If the salt loses its flavor, how can it be salty again? The idea is what good is unsalty salt? But that's not a thing in our day. Unless some of you do no salt, bless your hearts. No salt, that's that low sodium substitute thing. Um, Anyway, but sodium chloride, salt is salt. The only way it changes into something different is through a science experiment. And so in the first century, listen, salt was used mainly as a preservative. All right? the, the flavoring was, an, was, a, was a second thought. It wasn't the main purpose. In a world without the modern luxury of refrigerator, right? can you imagine 
not having that old refrigerator, old faithful, to throw the leftovers in or the freezer to pull things out of. This did not happen. So salt was vitally important to preserve fish and other types of meat. And in Jesus' region, so in the first century, that's what it was used for. In the region that Jesus was living in at this point and speaking in, most of their salt comes from the Dead Sea. Or if you know about the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea is a lake, a big lake, that's salt water. And I don't just mean a little. It's a lot of salt water. Like it's a heavy content of salt. And so even today during certain times of the year as as the Dead Sea would overspill its banks, what naturally happens is water settles in small pools outside the banks of the lake. And the sun does what it does and it evaporates the water. And what does it leave? Salt. And so literally today you can walk, you can walk at certain times of the year, you can walk around the Dead Sea and you'll see just white around the banks at certain parts of the Dead Sea. That is at least in part salt. And so this would be gathered, it would be sifted as best they could, and it would be sold and, and, or collected for salt. They would have a big bowl of salt. But here's what you need to know. When the water evaporated out of the water of the Dead Sea, it wasn't just salt. There was lots of other things in it, like dirt, but also other particles, other elements that weren't just salt. There's more in water, in salt water, than just salt. And so mixed in, this bowl... Some of it's pure salt. This is actually sea salt made from evaporated seawater. But it's just that. But their bowl would have sea salt, but it would also have little particles of other stuff in it. And so imagine, imagine, uh, imagine a huge slab of meat or a big slew catch of fish. And you know it's more than you can eat in a few days. And so you know you've got to preserve this. We've got to do something. So you get your bowl of salt out, right? The first century. You get it out. Now, you've got a lot of meat that you want to preserve. How are we going to know that the salt is going to take care of it? Because if, this isn't a, if there's not a lot of salt, if it's more dirt and other particles, is it going to protect the meat? No. How would you know the content, the salt content of your bowl of salt? You'd pick it up and you'd put it on your tongue. If it was really salty, you'd go, hey, that's good salt, baby. And then you would salt your meat. But if it wasn't, if you were like, eh, that's pretty bland, you know what you'd do with it? You'd walk out the door and you'd throw it out into the yard because it's garbage. Unsalty salt has no purpose. Salt has a very unique purpose. And when salt is unsalty, It doesn't have its purpose. So that's why Jesus says in the context of the question, if salt loses its flavor, meaning there's less salt content, how can it be made salty? The answer is it can't. It's worth nothing. And Jesus says, just throw it out. Now, oftentimes what we do here is we stop and we say, okay, what did Jesus mean by that? What did Jesus mean by saying that we're salt of the earth and that if a salt should lose its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It can't. It's good for nothing. And we stop here and we want to try to make sense. We want to try to draw from Jesus what he doesn't say. I'm going to make the argument today we need to stop that. We need to listen to what Jesus actually says. Jesus continues his message. And so let's see what Jesus says next. Let's see if Jesus actually gives us the meaning of the salt analogy. Let's look at number two. You are the light of the world. 
Now, Jesus, notice the similar terminology, right? You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus was a good teacher. He put things in ways we could understand. There's only one major change, and that's the word salt to light. So I want to read verses 14 and 15 again. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are on the house. Now, this one's a little more obvious, right? We know Jesus wasn't thinking of this, right? Even most of our kids will get that, okay? There was no electricity in the first century. Jesus was not thinking of a light bulb. He was more thinking of a lamp, a lamp, but not just any kind of lamp. It would be an oil lamp. Um, in our living room or in our kitchen, uh, Kelly has an oil lamp that was her, Kelly, help me, or Betty Joe, the lamp, grandmother's, it was your grandmother's, um, it was Kelly's grandmother's oil lamp, and it sits in our living, in our kitchen on a shelf, we don't use it, it's just pretty, um, but it's really cool, right, it's got the oil in the bottom and the bottom bulb, and then there's that wick that sticks up that you can light, right, they weren't fancy back then. What they would literally have is a bowl full of oil and a wick that was fixated up. That was their lamp, okay? A bowl with oil and a wick. And so when Jesus is talking about this, that's what he's saying. It was this nothing fancy. These bowls would be placed on a high table or a stand so that that light would spread throughout the whole room is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And what does Jesus say? Who in the world goes through the trouble of getting oil in the bowl, getting the wick to stand up just right, getting fire, which they don't have lighters, okay? So they have to get fire, lighting the lamp, and then covers it up with a bowl or a basket. That's Jesus' argument here. That's what he's saying. Who in the world? No one, he says, lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Why? Because when you cover a a flame up, You do what? You suffocate it. Fire needs oxygen, and when you cover it up, you're going to smoke out the flame itself. It's going to go out. A lamp has a particular purpose, and it should be used according to that purpose. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's taking salt, and he says salt has a very particular purpose, but when it's it's only effective if it's used properly, and it's in the right uh, uh, dosage. And then he takes light, And he says, light is only useful if it's used properly. He's making the exact same argument that these two things, which were very important in the first century, he says it's silly to try to use these two any other way. They're useless. And so then, if you're beginning to think, again, what we often do is we look at salt of the earth and we go, ah, Jesus means this by that. And then we look at light of the world and we say, ah, Jesus means this by that. I'm making the argument today that Jesus tells us what he means. We don't have to read between the lines. Look at verse 16. In the same way. You don't have to do any searching. Ah, what did Jesus mean by that? He tells us. Sometimes we miss the explicit meaning of a text because we're looking for the implicit, the hidden meanings. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Here we go. This is the meaning. Point number three is let your light shine. 
This is the action step. Jesus has done the teaching. He's talked about salt and how salt has a particular purpose, but if it's not used effectively, it's, it's useless and you might as well throw it out. Then he's talked about light. What good is light if you cover it up? It has a particular purpose. Let it use and be in its effective purpose. And then he says, in the same way, let your light shine. This is the action step for his disciples. Just as salt and light are great when they are used properly, Jesus challenges his disciples to live their lives in the proper way that he has designed them to be used. I want to give you some sub-points here because I think there's a lot going on in verse 16. Point number A is it's y'all's light. It's y'all's light. All right? This is, if you don't catch anything else, catch this. We talked about this two weeks ago. There is no plural English word for you, right? If I say, if I, if I point to one person and say you, or I can point to three people and say you, it's a plural and a singular. But in the Greek, there is a plural word for you. And so when, when Matthew is writing this, he is using a plural form of you. If our translators would just adopt Southern English, we could fix this whole problem. Because we have a plural word for you, right? Y'all. They make fun of us. It's actually biblical. We actually, I can make a biblical argument that we need a plural form of you. All right? But anyway, you can look up the Greek word if you want to nerd out on it a little bit. All right? But we, here I, I will tell you, this is the, the plural form of the word you. So in these verses, Jesus says, let y'all's light. Right? He's not just talking to one disciple, but look at what he doesn't say. Y'all's lights. Okay? That's the profound moment. Jesus doesn't say, let y'all's lights shine. What he says is, let y'all's light shine. Jesus is using a collective idea here. He's speaking in collective language. Listen, church, it's why the unity of the, of the disciples was so ridiculously important. Because Jesus was teaching them, it doesn't matter if you do good and you do good and you do good and you do good, but you don't do it together. <laughs> Jesus is making the argument that it's all useless. Everybody's going to see your good works, but they're not going to see y'all's good works. It's why, the, it's why it's so important for our church, Lindsay Lane East, right here on this hill, to be unified. Because if we're just individual people who live good, God-honoring lives, then we are falling short of the purpose that God has for us. We might as well be thrown out like the salt. We might as well be covered up. We're useless. This is y'all's light. It's a collective lifestyle that you have chosen to follow Jesus. You don't get to do it in isolation. And in fact, it's useless when you do it in isolation. We need each other. Point B, Jesus says this. See your good works. Clearly letting your light shine. Jesus doesn't go into great detail about what he means by that, but clearly it involves good works. So this is a general term. Remember, if you, I say good works, we all have a different opinion of what good works is. Except for the fact that Jesus just preached Matthew 5, 3 through 10. What were they called? Matthew 5, 3 through 10. Be, Beatitudes. Jesus has just defined those kingdom principles. What does it look like to live in the kingdom? Here's eight ways. And he gives them to us. Okay? So when Jesus says, 
let them see your good works. If Jesus has just got out of his mouth eight good works, don't you think his disciples are making that connection? They're recognizing, oh, this is what he means by that. When Jesus' disciples let their light shine to those around them, their, their good deeds would be noticed. Their goodness would be noticed. They would see their humility and their pureness and their insatiable desire for righteousness that we see in the Beatitudes. And so Jesus is saying that the goal is to be bragged on by the world, right? Live a good life so that the world brags on you. Is that what Jesus says? No, because he doesn't stop there. He says, so that they may see your good works and what? See your good works and what? It's not on the screen. You've got to look in the Bible. See your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's point number C. The, world, the word glory literally means to give weight to or to give importance to. So the goal of letting your light shine is not to get glory for yourselves, but glory to God our Father. These good works are not self-seeking. They must be done in humility with all the emphasis pointing towards God. Listen, we had uh, 8 to 10 guys go yesterday from our men's ministry and go, uh, go work to seal a man's roof yesterday who needed it. Um, uh, he came outside while we were working and he just kept bragging on, man, so thankful that you guys took time out of y'all's day to come here and do that. He was just bragging on us left and right. And I love the fact as, as your pastor that I heard more than once that appreciation being deflected to God. Nobody said, we are pretty good, aren't we? And I could be, I could be getting ready to watch football today. Huh, I'm a good person. Nobody did that. Everyone, everyone that was there that I heard talk to him deflected that to our relationship with God. Man, God's done so much for us. We just want to help others, right? All the glory goes to God. That's what he's talking about. This is what it looks like to let your light shine. If, you, if letting, letting your light shine in context, listen to this. Letting your light shine in context is living out the Beatitudes. That's the good works. With your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the y'all's light part. In such a way that God gets the glory, not man. In such a way that God gets the glory and not man. Right? If I could define what, if I believe, I think that clearly states what Jesus means when he says, let your light shine. But there's one more piece I want to talk about. And it's the word others. Because I think it's important. He says, verse, uh, verse, where is it? Verse 14, 15, no, no, 16, there it is. In the same way, let your light shine before others. You see, the call of Jesus to his disciples is not just being the salt of Judea or the light of the region. You get that, right? This is a global light that we've been called to share and to shine. It's, it's the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The Greek word for world is cosmos in the Greek. What does that sound like? Cosmos, or however you say it in English, right? And for us, it means the universe, but to Jesus' day, it's a reference to all-encompassing. It means everything. So we're to be the light of everything, the whole earth. The disciples would have understood that Jesus was calling them not to a local mission, but to an international one. Church, our light, if our light 
Even if our light lights up this area to the point that everybody knows who Lindsay Lane East is in a five, mile square, five square mile radius, we're still falling short of the glory of God that he has for us. Because God has called us to shine an, a global light, an international light. He's called us to the nations. Listen, church, I know you're think, some of y'all are thinking, hey, I ain't getting on no plane, Heath. Well, okay, you can walk. No, um, but there are ways that you can engage in international missions. Even if you feel like yourself, you're in a stage of life or, or health-wise that you can't go there. There are still ways that we're going to be putting before you in the coming days that you can engage in international missions to shine that global light to the world through prayer and through giving. The, un- the disciples understood that this was an international mission, and you and I miss it sometimes. But one more thing. It wasn't just a global light. It was a constant, consistent light. Now, I'm going to make a statement that's going to you're not going to understand, but give me time. None of us have a hard time shining our light. Did you know that? None of us have a hard time shining our light. It's the consistency that we struggle with. <laughs> right? When we come to church, man, we're oozing just goodness. Right? We're just oozing. We're talking about Jesus. And how's your week been? Oh, just blessed, brother. Just blessed, right? And we, man, we can shine the light. We know how to do it. We all do it on a regular basis when we come here. Here's the only problem. We don't need the light. I've already got it. The consistency is what we need to work on. None of us have trouble shining our light. It's the consistency and the constant nature. So <laughs> I love going on mission trips with grumpy people. You ever been on a mission trip? Don't raise your hands. But if you've ever been on a mission trip with a grumpy person, it's my favorite thing in the world. Because they're, they're, they're away from their home. They're, they're in another place. And, uh, and dude, they're, just, they're, just, they're just loving and they're ministering. And they're just, just being so compassionate towards other people. And I always want to ask, what are you doing? How do you know how to act like this? Right? Why can't you act like that to the people that you're around every day? Right? I mean, you're acting like the second coming of Jesus in Uganda, and you cussed a customer out yesterday before you left. You know what I mean? Like, it just, it doesn't add up. See, Jesus has called us to a constant, a consistent light. Not just when we want to or when it's convenient. And look, I struggle too, okay? I struggle too. We all do. We all do. But Jesus is making it clear here that this is a constant light that must shine. And I'll be honest, this is something that I've been missing every time I've read this passage up till now in the point, in this point in my life. And here's why I know that this is a constant light. Because of what Jesus says right before this. I've already told you, we've already talked about what Jesus says in 3 through 10. But look at verses 11 and 12. Look at verses 11 and 12. Some of y'all that have been here through the whole eight months of listening to me preach, you know that I believe context matters. That's why I preach larger sections of Scripture and I don't just cherry pick verses. Because we could take these four verses, 13 through 16, and we could, we could, we could read them and we can still miss what's going on around them. The sermon begins with the Beatitudes, um, but it doesn't jump to salt and light. 
Verses 11 and 12 are in there. Listen to these. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, man, you're going to face tough times. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to throw accusations against you that you didn't even do. They're going to run your name in the ground. The very next thing out of his mouth, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Fulfill your purpose. If any of us struggle to shine the light, we struggle when we're being attacked. When we feel like we've been backed into a corner. Amen? I'm the only one. All right. Good. I need this sermon then. Y'all let me finish. When we feel like we're being... Man, some of us can... We can shine the light in a lot of difficult places. But look, when man, when somebody's lying about me, I got a hard time loving you like Jesus. I got a hard time. I want to I wanna use a sword like Peter. <laughs> I don't want to love like Jesus in that moment. But this is, the, this is, the, this is the, the context that Jesus speaks into this. I know there is probably a paragraph break or a title change in your Bible, but those were not there. Okay? Matthew, it's all red letters here. This is Jesus' sermon. This is still the same guy speaking at the same event to the same guys listening at the exact same place. This is a consistent sermon that Jesus doesn't stop. And so Jesus says that because you were following me, some people are going to hate you. They're going to try and stir up trouble by insulting you and even accusing you of false things. Don't let it get you down. In fact, be glad. And then Jesus presents, as Jesus presents this most difficult situation for a Christian to stand firm and live out the Beatitudes. Listen, when someone is ripping you down for no good reason, any of us will lose our cool. And will not look like Jesus when we're feeling attacked. But it's into this situation that Jesus speaks. You have a very particular purpose. And you can get fired up and you can act differently than you're supposed to be. You can act like a bowl of water, of, a, of particle down salt that's not salty. And you can put that lid over your light for just a second and chew some tail. Or you can even in that moment be salt and light the way that Christ has called you to. Like unsalty salt and a covered up lamp. We can be useless for the kingdom of God in our most difficult moments. Instead, live like I have called you to live, Jesus says. Then those around you, listen to what he says, so that others may see your good works. The last others he talked about are the people that are persecuting you. And when you continue, even in the midst of persecution, you continue to look like Jesus, there will be no argument against your character. There will be no argument. And the only thing they will be able to do is to look at you and go, there's something different about this doofus. There's something different about this guy. And they'll give glory to the Father in heaven who gives us strength to act in such humility. Do you see this? Do you see the salt and light in a different, in a different way? It's called reading the Bible in context and it matters. We need to read the Bible this way. So we know that what Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago, but let me ask you, that's what we've just been talking about. 
But what is he saying to you right now in this moment? Are you living out the Beatitudes with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in such a way that God gets the glory and not man? And are you living out that light globally and consistently? Here's a few questions for you to think about. Do you understand that God has called you to live differently? Do you understand that? The kingdom principles, yes, we talked about last week, that we can't perfectly keep them, but God equips us to do it, to try. Question number two, are you doing life with this church? Are you doing life with this church? If so, praise God. If not, you can be the best person you want to be. You can shine your light in your workplace. You can shine your light in your home. You can do all those things. But remember, it's y'all's light. The only way we can fully and completely live out being the salt of the world, or the salt of the earth, the light of the world, is to do it together. It's why you need to sign up for a group. It's why you need to be involved in a group. Coming here and worshiping and talking through masks is good. But until you come and you sit well, right now, six feet apart, but eventually knee to knee in a circle with a group of people who are struggling just like you, but calling out in one another to live differently, I don't think, you can be, I don't think you're truly being obedient to what God's called you to do. Groups are so important to what we do here at East. And the last question I'll ask you is, are you deflecting the glory to God? When you, act, when you do right things in your life, when you act godly, when you do those things, does it make you feel good? Like, Are you known at work as the, the upstanding good guy or woman? Or are you deflecting that to Christ? The only way we're going to see people changed is if we deflect them, deflect that glory to God. Listen, there's probably a whole lot more that we could study through this, preach a whole sermon series on this. But what I've done for you is I've taken the basics of salt and light passage and shown it to you today exposed it to you so my next question is what's your next step could not don't listen to me preach for 35 minutes and walk out of here without asking the question what am i going to do different how does this passage speak into my life what action is the lord leading you to take this week to more faithfully live out as salt and light we're going to have a time of response as we do a band's going to come on up here now Uh, we're going to sing one more song And uh, during that song, you can stay seated where you are and pray. You can stand and sing, stand and pray, kneel and pray, stand and kneel, and however you feel led to do it. But talk to God about what he's doing in your heart and how he spoke to you through this message. Whatever pricks your heart today, talk to God about it. The altar will be open, and we'll also have counselors by the back door. Um, If you want to come talk uh, to us about church membership or about salvation. Uh, you need to be baptized. You've never been baptized. We would love to talk with you about that. You can come forward and talk to me or you can go to the back and talk to one of our counselors. Um, it's a great day to join the church because we've got a quick turnaround. At 1045 in next door, we're doing our East 101 course, which is our new membership class. So you can come forward today, say, I want to join the church. We'll have a quick conversation with you. You can go to East 101 and by the end of the day, before lunch, You're a member of Lindsay Lane East. Isn't that good? That's fun. All right.
But you respond however God leads you to do today, all right? I'm going to say a word of prayer. I'll be down front to talk to you, and the counselors will be at the back. That's new. Yeah. yeah. Let's pray. Father, uh, even in the midst of distractions, I keep kicking a speaker over, God. Uh, I know you want to do work. Uh, God, you want to change us. Um, God, you don't want us to leave this place the same way we came in. God, we talked about a lot today, but God, I pray that the challenge to, to live with purpose is, God, you've given us a purpose, and it's to shine our light with brothers and sisters in Christ so that you get the glory, and it's a global and consistent light. God, I pray that whatever piece of that struck a chord with us, God, that we would deal with you on it. God, we wouldn't push it down and move on, but God, we would deal with it in a real way today and allow us, allow you to change us to live differently. I pray for this time of response. God, you stir in our hearts. In Jesus' name.